Martin Phillips worked at B&Q during the financial crash and he was chief of Welsh Rugby Union during the pandemic when the sports world was effectively shut down. I ask him, how does he cope with ups and downs of the wider environment and still remain focused on growth? They don't even feel like ups and downs to me because, it, you, you know, in those jobs, you're just always flat out busy. You've never got enough time. You're always under pressure. There's always too many priorities and not enough resource. So to me, it's just the nature of the plan changed. So I can remember vividly when we, in 2008 with B&Q, you know, it was all about cash. It was all about cost. It was all about payment terms. And, you know, we busied ourselves doing that to the best of, of our ability. And we actually grew the profits through the recession purely on the back of, a, you know, probably a pretty good plan, but back to good execution. You don't build a plan, stick it in a drawer, tick the box, board have signed it off, move on. You know, it's a it's a living document. You, you're in a living organisation that needs to flex, change and adapt on a pretty regular basis. So have your your, your overarching goals and, and, and vision and so on, but be very prepared to to adapt and change as you go along. And that's broadly how how I've done it, really. So it's being alert to things and then not having that sort of denial. You know, I think the signals are normally there and we leave it too long. So once you get a sniff of something's not feeling right here, good or bad, is, is, to, is to face into it. So there's, I love a phrase of a, a problem is just a conversation you haven't had yet. So whether it's an individual a thing, you know, a partner, a, a contract. If it just doesn't feel right, get amongst it, find out, satisfy yourself. If it needs dealing with, deal with it and then move on. So, so my whole thing would just be have the right plan for the circumstance you're in. Make sure there's a good blend of tactical and strategic. Don't overcomplicate it and then focus on the execution. And I think a big concern um, for businesses at the moment, um, and you've mentioned obviously people quite a lot, but I think in an inflationary market on top of a talent shortage, um, in terms of retaining great people, it's not necessarily straightforward. Um, what's your take on sort of how you keep and hire great people in an environment like the one we're in at the moment? Yeah, again, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate this. I, th I think whether your business has got 200 people or 30,000 I think the inv inconvenient truth is there are a small proportion of them that are mission critical and you need to know who they are and you need to look look after them like hell. And, you know, in a 200 person business, it might be 10 people in a 30,000 business. It might be 50. I keep going back to being cute because it's the bigger, the bigger business. If the kitchen buyer goes and they do 200 million sales a year, that's the problem. You need the best kitchen buyer in the market. You need to make them as good as they can be and you can make sure you don't lose them. So I tend to be quite uncompromising around let's know who they are and let's look after them. And then the other thing, and maybe controversially, I think you've always got more people than you need or, or you, you know, you, you don't have a sharp enough set of priorities. So I have a list almost where you sort of say, right, if I've got a really good person, am I paying them enough? Do they and I know what their career path is? Have they got a plan to make them better? Are they working for a good boss? Am I making their work interesting? Am I moving them the minute they're ready for their next challenge? 
they're all really basic things, but very few businesses do them well. So if there's 10 things you do with really good people, find the 10 to 50 people who matter, do the 10 things with them that really matter, and it'll be okay. And if you can't afford it, then move on some of the people that aren't really bringing you very much to make sure you keep the ones that are. Do you think businesses don't do this well because they're not good at assessing who are the really great people? Do you think it's that's the, almost the, the tricky bit, the prioritisation? I would like to think that if we said to most companies, you've got until Friday to tell us who you who are the 10 percent of people that really matter. I think they would d- deliver. If you then said, what do you do? What are the 10 things you do with the great people? They would come up with a good list. There's just not enough accountability around doing it. And that's where I think the HR thing comes in. You know, if, if, if the FD turns up in the boardroom and says, we might be in danger of breaching our covenant, then we move heaven and earth and things get sorted out in pretty short order. If the HR director comes in and says, oh, we don't really know who our best people are and we're not doing the best with them, people get, nod sagely. It all sounds very interesting. And then they move on. There's nowhere near the energy and focus that goes into the people side of it that there should be. And I think that's, if we go back to the start of the story, I think as the HR director, I was quite, I was a bit of a handful around those sorts of things. The finance stuff gets so much attention, which is the easiest part of the job. The numbers never lie. There's always enough smart people around to make sure the numbers are right and to do some forecasting. That was the easiest part of the job as the CEO. I found the numbers so easy because there's no judgment required. It just is what it is. But when it comes to people, I'd be lying awake at night thinking, do I give that person that job? You know, should I exit that person? Can that person do that new project over there? That's really where the magic is. And and people just don't give it enough attention, I don't think. And then I guess... um... If we go back to sort of your own personal journey as well, having become a business leader at B&Q and sort of having success with the Welsh Rugby Union and now PE chair for some businesses, you've had some fantastic exit results. What has that success taught you about yourself as an individual rather than as a business leader? Yeah, I think on the positive, it's taught me that it is all about the team. You know, have we got the team in place running this company? working well together, clear on the mission, feeling accountability, feeling supported. Second thing I've learned is that you never stop learning. So in in, in all the jobs I'm in at the moment, there are certain things going on that I don't feel qualified to deal with. In some instances, I feel exposed. So it's having the sort of humility to go and find the people who can help you and say that you need help. And I think that's a strength to be able to just believe that you need the help and ask for it and then I'd say the biggest challenge for me personally in the PE world is is around the way you know certain financial aspects particularly around exit and valuations and how you know I'm in awe of of of, of sometimes how people will can look at the you know almost the financial engineering and how you can present financial information you know, I know some really good FDs, but I think they struggle with some of the really sophisticated work that goes on in private equity that I've got huge admiration for, really. So, I mean, without, 
you know, sparing him his blushes, you know, Richard um, Chapman, who, you know, who I've worked with now on a couple of companies, you know, we are totally and utterly different people. You know, and I'm almost, I wouldn't want to be chairing some of the companies if he wasn't there, because I know he, he, he just does and knows the things that I don't. And, and that's so important. And I think private equity does a really smart job of blending chair, executive, investor directors, sometimes advisors. I, I love the way that there's a network in place that makes the business successful rather than it just being on one or two individuals. And it goes back to that thing you were saying in terms of, um, you know, treating other people as they want to be treated, but also making sure you're not just getting everyone who acts the same, has the same perspective. Having that diversity of thought around the board table is crucial to to essentially driving success. Yeah, I've learned a lot working in private equity, but one of my biggest takeaways is the access to the network that that is there and and. You know, the sort of all of us are better than some of us philosophy. I, I really like that there, there is a humility about private equity in that we, they don't think they've got all the answers, but they think they'll find a way to get them. And I, and I really like that. So you've already given us um, lots of really good advice, um, especially around sort of people. <laughs> um, is there any other top pieces of advice you'd give to CEOs or entrepreneurs about building successful businesses? Maybe the only other thing I haven't mentioned I I, I call it self-awareness I just think it's about not kidding yourself you know I'm sure most people when they get to my stage in life they they don't think they've cracked it and and, you know don't think you've cracked it but know yourself and, and know what you can bring know where you can fall short know how to access the help you're going to need but access it before it's too late well, it's been great to um, hear about your career, your, your three careers, as it were, um, from sort of HR to CEO, DIY to sport, um, and then one side of the board table to the other. Um, and it's clear the role of people and performance translates across across all of those. Um, so thank you very much, Mark. Brilliant. No, thank you. Really enjoyed it.